Welcome to Action's Antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. Today, I want to talk to you about something that's near and dear to me because I think it causes a lot of suffering in this world. And that is this inefficient, daunting process by which we go about finding jobs or finding employees, basically connecting an employer to an employee. This kind of really drawn out process where people are submitting so many cover letters, so many resumes, reading so much is what keeps a lot of people fearfully clinging to jobs that are making them miserable and a lot of business owners trying to hang on to employees that are just simply not working out. And I personally think that we'd be in a much better state if we were to find a more effective way to connect these people so that if something isn't working out, if someone is miserable or if someone's not getting the job done, we can much more easily move on without this fear of what comes next and how much work am I going to have to put into what's coming next? And that's one of the core motivations for my guest today, Keith Hulin. Keith's business is called Smart Rank, more effective way in which to kind of sort through all the resumes, cover letters, or whatever um, employment materials that we get when we put out a job posting. Keith, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks, Stephen. Glad to be here. Uh, glad to have you here. So, Keith, first of all, let's start by talking about your story. What motivated you to start Smart Rank? What were you observing in your field that you had been in for a couple of decades before that? Yeah, so I've been a hiring manager for over 20 years. And me, along with all of my peers over the last 20 years, have all felt the same way about the hiring process, which is that it was fairly dysfunctional and it needed some sort of improvement. The hiring process as a hiring manager from just my perspective, hadn't mm -hmm. changed in 20 years. It didn't matter if I was at a global 500 company or a startup. It didn't matter if I was dealing with an internal or an external recruiting team. The process, the tools, everything was almost identical. I mean, very small, you know, nuanced little changes between each one of those. But for the most part, everything was very, very similar. Mm -hmm. And it was very frustrating. And so when I set off to want to start my own company, I knew that this was an area that I really wanted to explore further. You know, what we ended up doing was not coming in with any preconceived ideas. I knew what our problems were from a hiring manager standpoint. I had spent, you know, a lot of time hearing from my friends and, and colleagues and peers about their experiences. And I knew what mine were. But what I really wanted to do was understand more from the recruiting side and the applicant side, what their challenges were. So I just started scheduling hundreds of meetings and we just started meeting with people and asking them, what are the biggest problems you have? Why are those your biggest problems? Understanding more about their process and tools. And we really started to come up with some consistent themes and consistencies we heard in their answers that eventually led us to create SmartRank. So I think this is something that a lot of people experience, whether you're a product manager or whether you're starting your own business is that you come in with your ideas, your, you have a hypothesis, and then you conduct these interviews to kind of test that hypothesis or learn something more. From your 20 years plus experience as a hiring manager, what were your maybe like top three, these are the worst problems, and then how did that get amended by what you learned through all these interviews you conducted? Yeah. Well, I there's one that just screams out, and that's the one where there's a massive disconnect between an understanding between a hiring manager and a recruiter of what the qualifications actually are to do a role. So I'm going to share a statistic with you in the audience here that is one that I've, I've seen a bunch of times. So 80% of recruiters 
say that they have a high to very high understanding of the role that they're hiring for. Conversely, 61% of hiring managers say they have a low to moderate understanding of the role. The recruiter so, you're talking about, they being the recruiter, right? Yeah, the recruiter, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. So so just in that, that's just one data point. There's a bunch of, of data out there that supports this. You'll see like another article I read not too long ago said that hiring managers say on average, half of the people that are put in front of them from an interview are even remotely close to the qualifications they're looking for. So, so therein lies, the I think, the real genesis of the problem is that recruiters many times think that they are getting the detailed information of knowing what they need to know to go and find the right person. The hiring manager knows that they don't have the detailed information. They don't want to spend the time and the energy to try and make recruiter a subject matter expert. And let's just face it, that's an unfair ask that you take somebody that's been a recruiter for, doesn't matter, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, and say, hey, now you're going to be hiring for a full stack software developer. And there's no way that recruiter is going to be a subject matter expert in a full stack software developer. I mean, look, even if they've been a developer at some point in their career, unless they've been a developer at that company doing that specific role for that particular hiring manager, they wouldn't be able to have a detailed understanding of what those actual requirements are. And usually when I talk about requirements, Recruiters are always like, oh, yeah, no, I do a, a really good intake meeting and I know exactly what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. No, these are keywords. These are phrases. These are questions that only hit the tip of the iceberg. It's what job descriptions say, right? We spend yeah. countless hours wasting our time filling out, editing, you know, redoing, rewriting these job descriptions for what? For keywords that don't mean anything. If I say, Stephen, are you proficient in Excel? What would you say? I would say yes. Yeah, great. Me too. What yeah. does that mean? How, yeah, like, does that mean you can build macros or does that just mean that you know how to like expand the columns and create a couple of colors? You know, that's exactly right. And and just because you put in something like extreme proficiency or with these are all completely subjective. So unless you define the rules of the game, unless you define what that proficiency means then you're never, ever going to really, truly be able to capture what that qualification actually means. And that therein lies the real problem right off the bat is that the basis for what the recruiters are out there looking for are not the right things. They're looking for keywords. And so that's the main reason why whenever you send out a job description, you get unqualified candidates that come into you and come into an interview and you probably get a lot of qualified candidates that are pushed out, not even brought in, not even given a second look, just given that standard, thank you for your application and your interest, but we have a lot of other candidates, blah, 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 email message that a lot of people get when they apply for jobs. I'll just say a few things really quickly about just job descriptions alone. Number one, you're going to push away female candidates mm -hmm. right off the bat. Why? Because statistically... Females need to satisfy 100% of the qualifications before they will apply for a role. So if you have 10, 12, 15 qualifications on your job description, then if a female doesn't feel like she can do one of those, even though she may be your best candidate out of everybody that could have applied, she won't even apply. You won't even get a chance to look at her because she's not even going to apply for the role. Mm-hmm. 
Men are 60, 60% statistically is what we would need to qualify for in order to, and I, by the way, I feel like that's probably even high. This is a psychological thing, right? Like when a man looks at a job description and, and matches two thirds of it, and he's like, oh, I might as well just apply. Whereas a woman is more likely to say, oh, I match 90% of it, but oh, I don't match this one. I shouldn't even bother, right? That's a purely like a, like a psychological conditioning type of thing. That's exactly right. And the more vague it is, which they're all vague and ambiguous, but the more vague and ambiguous it is, the more ambiguity you're creating for a female to try and figure out what they mean. So if you say proficient in Python, you know, yeah. a female may look at that and be like, oh, they're probably expecting, or let's use the Excel. If it says must be proficient in Excel, a female may go to oh, they're looking for somebody that can do macros, whereas a guy is going to go in there and say, oh, so you want somebody that knows how to put numbers in cells and do that whole something at the bottom. Oh, I yeah. can do that. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. So, so you got a problem there. Number two, job descriptions and job postings are two separate things. Can we just say that and put mm -hmm. that out there to the community? They got convoluted and they got basically put into one document for many different reasons that we don't have time to go through. But what yeah. you end up having is a legal document and what should be a marketing document. And they've shoved the two together and just thrown that out to everybody. And that's where you get all these you know, requirements and qualifications. Nobody is really opting out of the application process because of what the qualifications are. People barely even read them. People put so much time into these job descriptions. You're fixing something that is fundamentally broke at its core. You're never mm -hmm. going to make that a good tool to be able to use. And then worst of all is that, yeah, you're going to get a lot of people that are going to apply because of what you wrote on there. And they're going to say, yeah, I'm proficient in this. I have experience in this. I'm familiar with this. I have knowledge about that. And they're not qualified at all. And by the way, yeah. some of the best people that I know that I've worked with, if you look at their resumes, their resumes are not great because in their mind, they're like, I'm not even going to put Excel on there because I don't know how to do macros or power pivots or VBA. And they're like, that's like really good stuff. And I don't even know how to do that, but they know how to do everything else. Yeah. They can do recursive equations in Excel, which is still more than 70%, 80% of the people who use the program. Exactly. But in their minds, they're like, I'm not even going to put that because they know what good really is, right? So they don't yeah. even put it down. Whereas somebody that, like I said before, knows how to do some formula or an if formula or something is like, oh, I'm really, really good in Excel. I'm going to put that down that I'm highly proficient. That's kind of leading into like the resume, which is the other terrible tool that we use. But the job description right off the bat, it's a waste of everyone's time. It doesn't work. It doesn't do anything. And frankly, it's extremely biased and it's keeping females from applying. And yet every single company does it. So when you came in to these interviews, you had you know these notions about the way job descriptions are written, the disconnect between the hiring manager and the recruiter with the knowledge. Is there another bullet point that you added to this list where you're like, oh, these interviews told me that this is also a problem? Yeah. Well, there was a number of other things that we heard. So, you know, along the lines of, of candidates was the, there's an efficiency problem. So for everybody out there, so, you know, the majority of how it works, and this is for applicants alike, the way that it works is you fill out your fields in the application process, you upload your resume and cover letter, whatever else they're asking for. And then that goes into an applicant tracking system. 
Now, sometimes these ATSs will ask a question like, are you legally eligible to work in the US and do you require a visa? And that might move you into a different bucket, maybe. But the majority, like 99% of applicants are just going to end up on a big old list in chronological order. So the recruiter now, their job is they're looking at a list. When they come into work on a Tuesday after Memorial Day, they're Mm going to look and they're going to see 150 applicants. Yeah. Now, the first thing they're going to do, probably, even though a lot of them won't admit it, is they're going to start taking some shortcuts using the bias that's in their brain. So I've heard everything you can imagine. I've heard people that say, I don't look at candidates because all they can see is a date and time and their name. So that's the only information they have about the person. That's it. So, and in chronological order. So if they see people that have their name in all lowercase, they don't open them. If it's in all uppercase, they don't open them. Sometimes if it's a ethnic sounding name, they won't open it because they're, they're thinking they're jumping to conclusions and thinking, well, they, they may need a visa or something. So I've got another 148 applicants I can look at. I don't need to look at these two. And then what they're doing is opening up each and every one of those. And they're just comparing the keywords between a resume and a job description. So whatever words you put on a job description like Python, that's what they're looking for on the resume. If it doesn't have that, then they move on to the ones that do. How did the system get to be this way? Like, because we all know how the world of work changed, how it changed from assembly line to service. And now it's changing so much with hybrid remote work and some of the other types of arrangements. What started the resume? What started the whole idea of these vague words like proficient in or excellent communicator in job descriptions? That That's one that really gets me. Like no one has any idea what that means. Every single job description says must have good verbal and written communication skills. The other problem there is that everybody just copies from somebody else, right? If you need a job description that you don't have, you don't write that from scratch. Usually you're going to go find it on the internet and you're going to copy it from somebody else who copied it from somebody else who copied it from somebody else. And that's the job description that's now proliferated and it is going to be used. And everybody thinks that's acceptable. You know, the, the resume, actually the history behind it, Stephen, if you don't know this, is the first person in history credited with creating the resume is Leonardo da Vinci, actually, back in... Like the 15th century? Yeah, like 540 years ago. And that's what's actually kind of funny and also sad is that, (laughs) you know, if you think about it, we've been using that same tool for 540 years. Now, in reality, we've easily been using that tool for the last 100 years, Mm -hmm. easily the last 70, certainly the last 50. And, you know, ever since my career, it's coming on 25 years, but like my entire career... You know, in the beginning, it was going and handing these resumes off to people in person, right? Finding a job ad in the paper or something and then go hand it, uh, hand deliver it. But, you know, what ended up happening that really changed the game was ATSs. So applicant tracking systems, when those came on the market and the internet really became a tool where people could apply, that's what changed the game because you started having people not have to physically drive to an office to drop off a resume. Now they could sit in the comfort of their home and their flip-flops and a bathrobe and submit 50 applications in a day. And then it got worse because then they created this thing called Easy Apply. Oh yeah. We see that on LinkedIn. And by the way, that isn't good for anybody. 
It's not good for the recruiters. It's not good for the hiring managers. And it's not good for the applicants. This is a massive myth that everybody, the recruiters <laughs> in particular, they think that everybody wants easy apply. Well, yes and no. Like, sure, it's nice to have a button you can press and then that'll apply you to a role. But is that going to help you get the role? Not even close because there's no information you're providing to that company that's going to differentiate you from the other 200 people that hit the easy apply button. So the applicants, they're not dumb. They don't think that throwing their resume over this ATS wall and hoping that the ATS gods are just all of a sudden going to love something and call them <laughs> is, is reality. That's not going to happen. you know. So yeah. that is where we really started to go down this hill of, okay, now we have tons of applicants. We got to manage and you know, that's really where I think the the challenges really started to come in play is when you started to have so many people and they were all coming through electronically. We're still using the same tools. We still use job descriptions before we had ATSs. We still use resumes before we had ATSs, but now we've added in a third tool and all that's really doing is trying to organize it, but it's not making it any more efficient or effective. So these job descriptions and these resumes, and let's just say they've been around sometime since roughly after World War II, the post-war period, did they ever work? Was there a time period in the 1950s, 60s, 70s where these things actually worked or were they just much less shitty, for a lack of a better way to put it, because we didn't have the internet where people could easily apply? So if you put something in the newspaper, you get like 30 resumes and, and anyone can look through 30 resumes. Yes. So I do think that there was a time there was a place for resumes because look, back in the 50s, what would you have used? How would you have communicated what you did, what companies you've worked for? So back in the 50s, is there a reason that we needed to have resumes? Yeah, absolutely there was. Mm -hmm. But here we sit 70 years later and we're still using the same exact tool in the same exact way. See, that's what I think people need to think about is like, that was a great tool then. There is enormous amounts of technology in the marketplace today to solve these problems. Our technology solves this problem, but there's a habit that has been created and that habit hasn't changed. Oh, and by the way, I'm not advocating for get rid of the resume completely. I just yeah. want to make that clear. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that the place for the resume might be more along the lines of like the interview process, right? Where you can say, Hey, I see that you worked at these three companies and that, you know, you spent four years here. Tell me about your experience there. Why did you only spend six months at this company? Like there's, yeah. there's still value to that resume. I'm not saying let's get rid of the resume, but from a screening perspective, it's a terrible tool. It is an absolutely awful, awful tool. And every single company uses it except for our customers. Yeah. <laughs> To screen their applicants. And that's a great segue into exactly how SmartRank works. What's your plan for, or, you know, the plan that you're enacting now for this update, you know, in our process by which we screen candidates to get to that interview process? The way that we look at the screening process today, it's inefficient, it's ineffective, it is biased, and ultimately it becomes very expensive for a company. What do I mean by it's expensive? I'll just kind of work backwards. It's expensive because when your process is look at all the resumes that come in and the more requisitions, the more jobs you're hiring for, the more resumes you're going to have to look for. And so if you've only got three recruiters and now you want to hire another 50 roles or 60 roles, 
guess you're going to go hire more recruiters. Guess you're going to go spend more on all these tools and and trying to figure out how you can get the best talent becomes an expensive proposition. You also have expensive in the sense of, well, maybe we outsource it to external recruiters, also an expensive option. You have Mm -hmm. another thing, which is turnover. Many companies don't track exactly what their turnover is and specifically what the costs are, but there's an enormous cost there. And then you also have hidden costs that nobody is tracking for, like interview to hire ratio costs. What does it cost if you have three people in every interview and you have three interviews per candidate and you're interviewing seven candidates before you make the hire and all of those people in the interviews are 150 to $200,000 managers, right? Leaders in your company, you're wasting their time. It's not only their time there, but it's the opportunity cost of what they could be doing. Instead of that, they're spending in an interview process. Well, what if you could reduce the interview to to higher ratio down to like three to one, because you know that those three people are the effective ones, the best ones. It's expensive, it's biased. So what our solution is doing is we have a setting where you can, it's called the DEI setting where you can turn it on and it masks all of the data that would typically give a give bias in the process. So it masks the name, it masks what college you went to or what college you didn't go to, what year you graduated, your contact info, your LinkedIn profile, your resume, all of that is all masked in our system until you schedule an interview. Once you've decided based upon their specific qualifications that you want to interview them, then it unlocks all that. So everybody talks about DEI. Very few companies are doing anything specifically about it at the front end of the hiring process. And so our solution allows for them to really put their money where their mouth is if they want to do that. Mm-hmm. From an effective standpoint, it just gets to the very details of what somebody is actually looking for in order to do a role. So I'll give you an example. If we were looking at a position, let's say it's a software developer role. We were talking about that earlier. You know, a job description is going to say something like must be proficient in Ruby on Rails, which is a software programming language, right? And a resume is going to say, I am highly proficient in Ruby on Rails. Now, a recruiter is going to look at that and they're going to say, awesome, I have a match here. You don't have a match. You have word association. Yes, they both say Ruby on Rails, but that's about the extent of the story, right? So what we would do is we ask very specific questions and with highly specific answers that are ultimately derived from the hiring manager. So it would be more like, which of the following best describes your level of proficiency with Ruby on Rails? It would have four multiple choice answers. And one of those answers might be something like, I can build non-trivial queries with active record model associations and scopes, and you're comfortable with our spec and dynamic text fixture generation, and you're able to write HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Now, if you selected that answer in for this one particular role, you might get zero points. You would get nothing for that. Now, it sounds good. Sounds pretty technical, but you would get zero points because that's like bare bones. What they would really want to know is that you know how to do that and you can do the next thing on the list there, which is also I can do action mailers, action cable, active model record associations, stuff like that. It's more effective. Why? Because it just frankly asks 100% of the applicants exactly what their skills and qualifications are. And by the way, it's another DEI thing. We're giving every single person the exact same screening process. And then last but not least is it's more efficient. Everybody answers the same exact set of questions and answers for a particular role. And then they are literally stack ranked by their answers to that. 
So if you're the most qualified people, but you suck at writing resumes, but you have the skills that they're really looking for to do the role, you're going to move right to the top of that stack rank. Conversely, people that are not qualified to do that role are going to go to the bottom. But here's the biggest thing for the applicants. They know before they're done hitting submit on their application, what their chances are. If one of the questions going back to Excel is which of the four options best represents your level of proficiency in Excel, and you see one of the answers says beginner, but that's what your skill set is, you know that's probably not going to help your chances. But if they're looking for somebody for an accounting role that has like amazing type of skills in Excel and they talk about all these things and you just don't have it, you don't answer it that way. And then you just don't get scored as highly. And that's just, that's fair. It's the most fair and equitable way to give every applicant a fair shot at getting an interview. So an applicant will come in and they'll answer a series of questions. How long is the series of questions? Are there any other aspects of the process or is it just a matter of filling out whatever questionnaire that the you know employer, the you know what that's recruiting the position has decided to put in? Yeah. So we tell our clients anywhere between eight to 12 questions is kind of a magic spot. These are all multiple choice or multi-select. So they don't have to like type Mm. in some big long answer. So it usually takes them about three minutes. We're not asking behavioral or like aptitude questions, right? Usually this is all stuff that is already information they already know about their experience. Like if I ask you, what's your level of proficiency with Ruby on Rails? And I give you these four options in like 10, 15, 20 seconds, you can look at those and be like, not me, not me. Yep. That's me. Because we do have, you know, normal things that you would need to be able to move a candidate all the way through the process from an applicant tracking system standpoint, we'll still collect your resume. We can collect your, you know, education experience. It parses all that information and we collect contact info and all those other things. The whole process on average takes about eight minutes, which is half of the time that the normal period is where candidates will drop off. So the statistics are 15 minutes is the absolute max of which you're going to lose anything after 15 minutes for an applicant uh, or an application is you're going to lose about 50% of your applicants. Ours is about eight minutes. Now for the positions that are a little bit more behavioral, let's say it's like a leadership type of management role. Are those also kind of brought into like a multiple choice, like I manage teams like this and I have these four different options. I have this level of experience or generally people perceive me this way. Is that something people can throw into there as well? Is there an effective way to do that? Absolutely. I mean, we have what we call situational questions. So some of our clients want to say like, given this situation, you know, which of the following would be your first instinct, maybe as a manager, maybe as an individual contributor. The other thing it's going to ask like, from a management standpoint, we would ask all kinds of important questions that should be asked. Like my point of all this is really that the most important questions are not being asked right now. So like if you put a role out there and you said, you know, how many people have you managed? You know, even if you just said like on the job description, you know, must have management experience. Everyone interprets that differently. Some people are going to say, you know, we're a supervisor, but they never hired, fired, managed, or managed somebody out of the organization. But in their minds, they helped them with questions. They were a supervisor. Very different from actually managing people. When I was hiring for salespeople, this used to be one of my pet peeves. I would be hiring for a sales manager, a manager of people. And I would get 80% of the people I'd get 
resumes thrown at me would be sales people, not managers, people. Yeah. Why? Because sales people, their titles are like regional sales director and regional sales manager. Yeah, they manage a region. They manage a territory. They don't manage people. I need somebody that's managing people. So being very specific about those things, that's how we're able to give them exactly what they're looking for. And then how are you reaching the potential candidates? Like, is it a similar place that all the other traditional job descriptions are where, you know, beyond Indeed or Career Builder, LinkedIn, anything else? Or do you have like your own separate like outreach place where you find, uh, you know, the right people for the positions? We don't have anything that's like specifically reaching out to external candidates right now. But we do have two things that I'll mention. One is we, we're not going to compete with Indeed or LinkedIn as far as the number of candidates they have. But what we do is because what we usually hear from clients is when they post a role, they'll turn it off after a certain point in time because they'll yeah. get so many people. So they just turn it off. You know, I talked to a, a enterprise, a large company the other day. They posted a role on Friday. By Monday, they had over 800 people. They just turn the role off because they mm, have too many more than people. they can handle. Yep. You know, what I tell them is leave that spigot on full blast because what we're going to do is we're going to filter, we're, we're acting essentially as like a spam filter for all of those candidates. So turn it on LinkedIn, turn it on Indeed, turn it on built in or Career Builder yeah. or any of these sites or Monster. And what we're going to do is we're going to bring all of those in and we're going to funnel those into here's your. 800 applicants, but here's your top 10. Here's your top 10%, whatever it is that you want to see. Those are where you really should be spending your time. And then we have tools in place to help them get back to the other 790 that aren't going to be moving forward, like fast tools. You're at 14%. Yep. There's no way that you're going to be moving forward. We already know that about you. We don't even need to look at your resume and we're going to go ahead and move you forward now, you know, and, and let you know that we're not going to be moving forward. Yeah. And send that like, generic email or message, whichever. The other thing I'll, I will throw in is that one of the other challenges like in the last year or two that's related to this is a lot of companies would say, you know, we're not getting enough people applying. So it's been a really weird environment over the last few years with hiring. It's like too many, too, not, not as much, too many. It's, it's been really... Yeah, I've noticed that as well. Yeah. Very bipolar. And so, you know, for a while there, people were saying, well, we're just not getting enough people applying. And my thing I would always ask them about is, well, do you have an ATS? And they'd say, yes. And I'd say, well, how many candidates do you have in your ATS? And they'd say, oh, we have 40,000. And I'd be like, well, there's 40,000 people. Why don't you just go find your person in there? They're, they're probably sitting in there somewhere. And they'd be like, yeah, buddy, you go and search and mine my database for 40,000 people. There's no way. Because most systems have a Boolean search at best is what they're doing. So again, we're back yeah. to these stupid keywords. So if I'm looking for a Ruby on Rails, I guess I'll put in Ruby on Rails and Python. It's just going to pull back people that have those words on their resume, right? And that's that's not going to help you. So what we have the ability to do is we have the ability to go in and get an extremely precise mining of the database because we have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of answers to questions that these applicants have, have done. So if I'm looking mm. for a certain level of proficiency in Ruby on Rails, I can pull back all the people that have that particular rele you know, relevant proficiency. That is far beyond 
what anything else out there is going to be able to do, right? Because now we're talking about what you actually know how to do within that tool or whatever. So you're saying that like, let's say you don't have enough new applicants for this job, but you find someone that maybe had applied to an earlier job with your organization, like they applied two years ago, and maybe they're still in your ATS system, or maybe they're still in in your smart rank system and say, oh, well, you know, in what we've done before, we actually noticed these 75 people that have this level of experience with Ruby on Rails. And maybe if we filter it for another couple, you know, two or three questions that are important to your job, boom, we have like 10 or 15 people you can reach out to and say, hey, you know, are you looking for something now? How satisfied are you? That's exactly right. I'll give you an example. Let's say that you posted for a senior developer role two years ago, and you had a bunch of people apply and they answered the very specific questions. Okay, great. None of them moved forward because they didn't have the experience level you're looking for. But now we're looking for a junior software developer. So the way that they answered there might be perfectly acceptable for this junior role. So now when they go in and they say, you know, all they have to do is hit one button and it's going to give them that list of people that says, here's your best perfectly aligned matches. It even tells them the score that they would get if they were to just apply. And then you can just quickly say, I want to recommend all 25 of these people to apply, hit two buttons. They recommend all 25 of those people to apply. And now you've got 25 applicants immediately in your system that you know are qualified to do that role, not based off of some BS keyword. What we're really talking about in the grand scheme of everything is just a system that really was catered toward like the pre-internet age, the the era before the era when people just like walking in, handing in resumes. And as a result, every single hiring manager had the capacity to usually read through most of their resumes. But now we had kind of moved on to into a different world. We've also seen some other kind of more recent adjustments in our working culture. It started before the pandemic, but with the pandemic, we started to get some certain preferences regarding in-person versus remote work, certain amounts of schedule flexibility is becoming a more and more important aspect of a job, especially to some of the younger generations. Are there any aspects in your system that are accounting for some of those things? Some of those like, okay, we need someone that's, you know, especially with developers, because developers can usually find a job remote if they really wanted to, but maybe you want someone that's willing to come into the office three days a week or something like that. Yeah. And again, this all comes back to the screening questions that you're asking, or you could even ask the question of which of the following are you willing to, to do? And one could be a hundred percent fully remote. I can't come into an office. Another option might be, I'm willing to come in, you know, one to two days a week, maybe three to four times a week, or I'm willing to come into an office every day. If that's what, you know, the role requires, like, that's the type of stuff yeah. where the the applicant can just tell you this is what I'm willing to do. This is what I my preference is, and then that's either going to be a match or it's not. Look, if you fake that and you try and hide and pretend it doesn't exist, and then you hire that person, and now you all of a sudden somehow that got missed, and now you're telling them to come into the office five days a week, and they're like not going to have it. Guess what you're going to have on your hands? Churn. You're going to have somebody yeah. that's going to transition out of the organization. Because of something as simple as not clarifying exactly what remote hybrid actually means. Hybrid, right? That could mean anything. That could mean like 
you're remote most of the time, but there's this there's this office you can come into for your meetings, or we expect you in four days a week, but but Fridays you can work from home and anything in between. Stephen, I'll give you another example. Travel. I yeah. see travel required on job descriptions all the time. And I used to have a I still he's a good friend of mine I worked with for a number of years. And he used to hire for solution architects. And I remember, you know, when I told him about what we were first doing, he's like, I know what I would ask him. I would ask him about travel right off the bat. Now, why? Why is travel such an issue? I'll tell you why. Because on the job description, it says travel required. And nobody knows what that means because nobody defined it. And so what you end up having is somebody that joins and they're traveling two days a week. And they're like, wow, this is a lot. And now you're asking them to travel four or five days a week. And they're like, whoa, I'm barely able to do one or two. So I have a customer right now that had this challenge where they were turning people over because there was no clarification as to what travel meant. And so now they have a, a very specific question related to travel that says, what percent of the time are you willing to travel consistently week after year, week all year long? And the answers are like, none. I'm not able to yeah. travel for whatever reason. Zero to 25, 25 to 50%, 50 to 75%. The only one that allows you to stay in the process is 75%. That's a lot of travel, right? You, yeah, that look, is. 50% of travel is a lot, right? But for this role, they know from experience that it's going to be at least 75% of the time they're going to be traveling. So what's the point of bringing on a perfectly qualified person that is ideal for the role only to find out later on down the road that they have some sort of a restriction that doesn't allow them to travel more than 25%. You need them to travel 75. Guess what? It's not going to work out. It's nope. not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> and now from the hiring manager's perspective, does this represent a little more thought put into, you know, who we're looking to hire beyond like what they traditionally have done in like copying a job description and changing the words, or is it just a different type of thought? This system was created by hiring managers. Okay. Let me just say that right off the bat. So yeah. this is giving hiring managers exactly what it is they're looking for. In almost every one of my first interviews I ever used to do with people, it was not an interview where I was asking behavioral and situational questions. It was a screening interview. Now, why yeah. am I doing the screening? Because I know that I'm the only one capable of really getting to the real detail of what I need to get from them right? I can't get that from the recruiter. They're not going to give me that detailed level of screening. So I would spend my first interview screening people, not interviewing them, screening them. Because I yeah. can't, if you can't check the basic boxes, I can't move you through the process, right? Yeah. And so now we're just adding one more interview in the process, which isn't good from the candidate standpoint either. But here's the thing. If I'm a hiring manager, let me tell you what hiring managers don't want is for you to send them five resumes a week or a day and say, hey, do you want to meet with any of these people? They don't want that because that A, it wastes their time. B, they can extract a little more context, but not a ton. And so what you end up having is a situation where they're very frustrated because they're just tired. And so then it turns into another issue where the recruiters are like, they never get back to me. They never let me know about these candidates I sent over. Yeah, I know because they don't want to do that process. So now what they can see is details that they want to know about the person. And that's the most important thing. Like, I don't just see that you have Ruby on your resume. I can read 
that's <laughs> that doesn't do anything. Yeah. But what I can see is, do you actually have experience using SQL features like CTEs, Windows functions, triggers? You know, you can analyze and profile an application for performance and memory issues. If I know that you have actually done that, awesome. Now I'm getting information I need to know. And the last thing I'll say about this is for the recruiters out there right now that are listening to this and they're saying, well, hiring managers don't know what they want or what they need. I would say, if the hiring manager doesn't know what they want, how the hell are you supposed to figure out what they want? Yep, That's my first thing I would say. And my second thing to that I would say is, this is a tool that helps at some point you have to get that level of detail. It's going to come out eventually, whether it comes out in the interview and waste everyone's time or or it comes out after they get hired, it's going to surface at some point. So you might as well surf it as, er- as early as possible. And what this does, I've been on h- with hiring managers, Stephen, that are like, you know, no one's ever asked me that level of detailed question about what proficiency means. That's actually a really good question. What does that mean? And it gets them thinking about, oh, what am I really looking for? So it helps the whole process. It helps create clarity for the applicant, for the recruiter, and even for the hiring manager to really put specificity to it. Well, it sounds like way better of a process. And I'm thinking about this from the standpoint of what would make the workforce in general, the average worker, happier, more productive, less likely to churn, which is what kind of everybody wants. And it looks like right now we have this problem that nobody knows what they want. Oftentimes applicants don't know what they want. The hiring managers might not know what they want with these vague descriptions. And then of course, you know, we don't know how to like actually like match them very well because of these vague descriptions. So people out there looking to get a new job or looking to make some sort of career transition need to do some personal reflection. What do I want? Do I want three days in the office, two days at home? Why is it that I want that? Do I want something that involves more interacting with other people? Or do I want to be the person that just puts their headphones on and codes all day? And they're all perfectly fine ways to be. If that's the way you work best, uh, you just got to be that. And if they can reflect on that, and then if, of course, the employers, the hiring managers can reflect, okay, like, what do we need out of this role? Like, which program are we going to be using? Which program do we need this level of, of proficiency? You know, define more clearly, what do we actually need this person to do? What role do we need this person to play on the team? Are we looking for another person that could potentially be a team lead versus just, you know, another person to just crank out some code, you know, the junior versus senior developer, and then bring that together with this, you know, smarter ranking system, smart rank that will kind of get through the, you know, the list a lot quicker. And hopefully what that'll do, what I'm hoping is that it'll make it so that the process isn't as daunting. And so if you have a job description, you're like, okay, we need this new job. Someone's not working out. You're more likely to say, hey, you know, listen, this job's not working out. We're going to try to find someone else because someone else better is out there. And the person who's working at a job that's making them miserable will say, hey, you know, I thought this job seemed right for me, but based on who I am or based on what I'm motivated by, it's just not really working. And I'm going to go out there and and apply to other jobs and hopefully find something else that's going to be fitting better for them without having to go through all these applicant tracking system processes where you've written 500 cover letters that were never read. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, the other thing that we didn't really talk much about, but there's an enormous amount of data that should be used and collected in this process because 
without a data-driven conversation, you're having an anecdotal conversation, which means that there's a lot of assumptions and opinions. And this happens every single day at every company between recruiters and hiring managers. Now they have an anecdotal conversation. And Mm -hmm. so if you don't have data, how can you ever figure out what you're trying to get for that role in the future? Like if I don't have data on qualifications for literally every single applicant that's ever applied, how am I going to know that that person down the road, that that qualification is even important? Maybe it's not. I mean, it's just like that, your pet peeve, like good verbal and written communication skills. No one knows what that means. I got to the point when I was looking at some of these job descriptions that like I would see it and I'm like, okay, do you really need that for this role? Does this role really require that? Is something that's really going to be utilized in this role? And maybe there are some roles where it's just not utilized. That's exactly right. Oh, the amount of times we've gone through a job description and taken it apart to really figure out what they're looking for as we created questions and how much of that was not accurate. I couldn't even tell you how often that happens. Like where I've been on a call and somebody said, oh, I don't know who wrote this. I cert- that. I mean, that's not my requirement. I don't know why I'm on there. Yeah. Someone should know why, right? Because it is really determining who you get and who you don't get applying yeah. for the job. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, Keith, thank you so much for joining us today on Actions Antidotes, telling us all about your solution to a problem that's been pretty terrible and pretty terrible for for quite some time. I'd say pretty terrible since uh, roughly when the internet started just changing the way we go about finding people for for job roles and job positions. And um, I wish you the best of luck um, going forward. If anyone um, is listening, is interested in getting a hold of you, um, that website, is it smartrank.ai? Is that correct? It is. Yeah. And the AI stands for actual intelligence as opposed to artificial intelligence. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. nice. I, I, uh, I, I love hearing that. Actual <laughs> intelligence. We'll have to, we'll have to clarify that. So if you want some, if you want some artificial intelligence and maybe go to chat GPT, but if you want some actual intelligence, uh, that's check right. out smartrank.ai. Um, and that's for, um, both uh, people who are looking to hire people as well as anyone out there listening who may be um, looking for their next uh, their next job, their next role as something else to apply to, right? Yeah. So we have a, a, a system called Smart Apply that they can go to and that's where they can actually, you know, start putting in their information. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Um, well, thank you again. And I'd also like to thank everyone out there uh, listening to Actions Antidotes and encourage you to take inspiration from these stories, encourage you to Uh, Go about finding ways to make the life that you have, the life that you want. If if it is a new job, maybe find a new way to apply, given that these ATS systems uh, keep spitting your resume out for using the wrong words. Or if you're hiring, maybe you keep spitting the wrong people out. And also just uh, tune back into Actions Antidotes for more inspiring stories about people who are who are doing things much like Keith is doing, where you're kind of looking at problems and finding a way to s- solve it, finding like, okay, what can I do about it? How can I put something together that's really going to move the needle on everything? Awesome. Well, I appreciate you having me on, Stephen. Thanks. Thank you so much.